The Thinking Long and Short podcast is brought to you by True North Market Research, an investment professional's newsletter that is a tool for financial advisors and individual investors to stay current on financial market conditions. Investment professionals can use this insightful tool for thoughts provided in the newsletter to keep their clients well-informed and properly positioned to achieve their financial goals. For just $10 a month, you can stay up to date on financial market commentary, investment analysis, and trading thoughts. Join the team and become a part of True North International Partners family and investment community at truenorthmarketresearch.substack.com to start receiving your daily newsletter today. The markets had a positive finish to what was a rough week in the stock market on Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 2.15%, up over 650 points on the day. The S&P 500 also finished up nearly 2% on the day. And the NASDAQ also had a gain of one spot, 7.9% for the day, along with the Russell 2000, which also rallied over 2%. A few catalysts for the day was on Thursday, we got the earnings report coming out of the Taiwan Semiconductor, and they reported record profits for the quarter. And a lot of the times, the semiconductors, which are very cyclical businesses, are a leading indicator for where the rest of the markets are going to move. Another reason that we got a rally in the markets on Friday, and that the the markets have been rallying mostly for the last few weeks, is because of the action in the bond markets. And the bond market now has yield curve inversions that are flashing warning signs that we are in a recession. Now, as we look at the performance over the last month of the S&P 500 index, it's actually well off its lows. The S&P 500 is up 5% over the last month, and the NASDAQ has been even stronger. The NASDAQ's up 6% over the past month. Looking at the Russell 2000, which is the small cap stocks, the ones that are more highly related to the U.S. economy, is lagging behind both of those indexes, is only up 4.7%. But we've had a pretty nice recovery off the lows for stocks in the last month. Now, the reason being is because a theme that's been going on in the markets is that good news is bad news and bad news is good news. What do I mean by that? The market is now pricing in a 70% chance of a 100 basis point full 1% rate hike in the next Fed meeting, but is now starting to forecast in rate cuts in 2023. Now, we got the release of a lot of inflation data this week, which I'll cover in a minute. But with the hotter than expected inflation data that we got, the markets are now assuming the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates by 100 basis points in their next meeting, as opposed to 75 basis points, which would be bad for the stock market. But what they're also looking forward to is they're hoping that we're going to go into a recession. That recession is going to bring down inflation. And once we have inflation come down with a recession, that opens the door for the Federal Reserve to come in, start cutting and stimulating again which would then get the markets higher. So the markets are starting to look forward to that in 2023, which is a big reason why I think we've had a pretty healthy rally in stocks over the past month. And again, we have a lot of increases across the board in many different sectors for stocks, but especially the cyclical businesses, the tech stocks, the semiconductors. So I think that's what's driving the market action of late. But as we see, there are more recession fears coming in. Again, the yield curves inverted between the two and the 10-year treasuries this week. I'll go over that in a bit. 
Oil has come down significantly from the highs, both on recession fears that are going to curb demand and on the lockdown uh, problems that are going on in China. So oil finished the week at 97 spot 57 for a barrel of oil. Gold prices have come way down as well because, again, people are looking forward to those increased rate hikes. And they're also looking forward to a recession, which they believe, incorrectly so, will cause inflation to go away. So gold has been selling off as the dollar has been rallying. The dollar index got above $109 on the week, which is a fresh 23-year high. But it settled the week at about $108. But the dollar is at all-time highs uh, in some currencies, and it's at 20-year highs in a lot of the major currencies. The dollar is getting stronger because, again, people are buying dollars in anticipation of interest rate hikes, which make the dollar stronger, and in in anticipation that a recession causes inflation to go away. And if inflation is going to start to come back down, you would want to own dollars. Again, very misguided. But the gold market on the week, we finished at $1,706 per ounce, and gold has broken way down to the downside through the lows. And with that, a lot of the gold stocks have come down as well. But a lot of the commodity stocks, gold, uh, agriculture stocks, oil stocks, are all getting crushed and doing much worse than the market. They're actually now underperforming as the markets have gone up and those stocks have come down over the past month, and in many cases, very significantly so. But I want to go over the economic data that was released this week. Of course, this Wednesday, we got the highly anticipated CPI numbers month over month. We were already at a high expectation. The forecast was for a 1.1% increase in prices for the month of June. Now, over the past 16 months, we've only had one month where the forecast was higher than that 1.1% that we were expecting to get. Now, we actually beat expectations. The CPI month over month came in at a 1.3% increase for the month of June. Now, there's two key indicators when you're looking at the CPI data to try and understand what inflation is doing. The entire week, I saw headlines in the news from CNBC to the Wall Street Journal to Bloomberg explaining that inflation is now up 9.1%. Now, what that means is if you look at the prices in June based on the CPI, prices were 9.1% higher this June than they were last June. But that's a lagging indicator. That's looking backwards to what happened over the past year. As investors, we need to look forward and understand what's more likely to happen over the course of the next year. Now, the real way you do that and the real way you look at this inflation data is you have to understand what the price increases are on an annualized basis. So in other words, if you take the 1.3% increase in prices in June and you annualize that by multiplying it by 12 months to extrapolate out and try and see what's going to occur over the next 12 months, the real inflation rate is 15.6%, which is the worst in U.S. history. And That is with the CPI completely understating inflation. But even if you take the government's measurement for inflation in the CPI data, we are at an annualized inflation rate of 15.6%, which is horrendous. And this problem is not going to go away. Now, we got the core CPI month over month as well on Wednesday, which strips out food and energy prices. 
even stripping out food and energy prices, prices in June were still up 0.7%. Now, again, they the CPI understates inflation because they don't measure the housing price increases in, in properly in the CPI. And they also don't measure the increase in mortgage payments in the CPI. So in other words, because mortgage rates have doubled from this year to last year, anybody who is buying a house this year has a much higher mortgage payment than they would have had if they bought the house last year. That is taking a big portion, a big chunk of the household budget, but that does not show up in the consumer price index. So inflation is as bad as it is at 15.6% is actually a lot worse than that because it doesn't account for the huge spike in housing, which again is the biggest part of any household budget. And again, it doesn't even pay to look at the core CPI, which strips out food and energy, because food and energy are a big part of a household's budget. So the real number, the CPI month over month, which again doesn't include the, the increases that we see in mortgage payments and in housing, is 1.3%. And so that's a 15.6% annualized increase in the inflation rate. And the way they include the way they measure housing in the CPI is they take owner's equivalent rent, which is a very highly inaccurate way to measure the price of rents going up in the economy. So again, the inflation rate is probably more like 20%. But again, even if we stick to the 15.6% number, that is still highly outrageous. Now, we also got the federal budget balance for the month. We were expecting to have a budget deficit of $73 billion. Instead, we had a budget deficit of $88.8 billion. So the government is still continuing to spend a lot more money that is coming in not from taxes. So that means they're borrowing the money from the market in order to continue to spend on their programs. That is a inflationary policy that is going to continue to exacerbate the CPI as we move forward into the summer months and into the winter. So the federal budget is continuing to to decrease as far as they're getting more and more deficits. The government continues to spend more and more taxpayer money that we don't have to try and, and stimulate the economy. And with that, I saw an article this past week that now 14 states are considering doing stimulus to try and provide some sort of relief to their constituents who are struggling with inflation, as if we've learned nothing from what happened over the past two years in the pandemic and the government response to the pandemic. You cannot help people with inflation by giving them more money. That increases demand and makes the inflation problem much, much worse. But 14 states are still considering this. And why are they considering this? Well, because voters are pocketbook voters. They want money. They want free money from the government. And that's why, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, everybody wants free money from the government. And all government politicians want to give away free money because that's how you extrapolate votes, right? People will vote for you if you're going to improve the quality of their life as far as the income that they have. They don't understand that that causes prices to go up, and th- so it actually makes them worse off. But because people don't understand that, people vote for it, and that's why politicians are always trying to give away as much money as they possibly can, even if the government isn't even collecting enough money to pay those benefits out in taxes. But Thursday, we got the PPI month over month, which is the producer price index. That is the change of the price of finished goods and services sold by businesses. Now, there we were expecting a 
8% increase. And just like the CPI, we came in much higher than expectations, which we got a 1.1% increase in producer prices in the month of June. Again, this is extremely important because this is much greater of a forecast for determining what inflation is going to be on the consumer side of things several months from now. Because all of these price increases that businesses are experiencing, a lot of that is going to have to get passed on to the consumer. So if the producer price increase is continuing to expand the way that it is, those price increases are eventually going to be passed on to the consumer. And if you go back several months ago, the the last several producer price index readings we've got, an an increase of 1%, the next month, an increase of 0.8%, the following month, an increase of 1.4%, the following month, an increase of a half a percent, last month, an increase of 0.8%, and then this month, an increase of 1.1%, all those price increases are eventually going to be passed to the consumer. Now, what's interesting Over the past 16 months, the producer price index has increased by 12.8%. During that same 16-month period, the consumer price index has increased by 11.5%. So to this point, again, over the past 16 months, most of the price increases that businesses are experiencing have been getting passed on to the consumer for the most part. But either way you look at this, if the producer price index is going to continue to go up month after month, and again, it's showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. Again, we, we got the, the, the increase of 1.1% for the month of June was the second highest increase if you go back in the past 16 months. So the cost biz- pressures businesses are experiencing are actually much higher right now than they were any, at any point in the last 16 months which means one of two things. Either these price increases are going to get passed on the the consumer, which means inflation is going to get even worse as we move into the later summer months and into the winter, or businesses are going to fail to pass on these price increases to customers, which means that their profit margins are going to shrink dramatically. And that means corporate earnings are going to come down, which is going to take the stock market down with it. So one way or another, either way you slice it, this is very bearish for stocks. Because even if the price increases don't get passed on to the customer, again, you're going to have corporate earnings come down. And to this point, the stock market, the S&P 500 has seen a multiple contraction, meaning that stocks are now trading at about 18 times earnings. And at the height of the pandemic, they were trading at 36 times earnings. But Earnings estimates and earnings have not come down for businesses yet. If those earnings start to come down, we're going to have to make another major move down in the stock market from here. But even if those price increases get passed on to customers, that means we're going to continue to have higher amounts of inflation, which means not only are growth stocks less valuable in an environment where we have a lot of inflation, but That means that there's more pressure for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates, which means that stock multiples have to come down. So no matter how you slice it, as we move into the summer months and into the winter, yes, we might get some rallies in the market like we did over the last month where the S&P 500 is up 5%, but either we're going to have to have more of a multiple contraction here or we're going to have to have an earnings contraction. So to me, 
Again, I still don't understand any reason why the stock market won't reach its pre-pandemic highs, which again is about a would represent about a 12 to 13 percent decrease in stock prices from here. We also got some more economic data on Friday. Friday, we got retail sales, the Empire State Manufacturing Index, and import prices month over month. Core retail sales also came in, but for retail sales, we had a 1% increase month over month in retail sales, slightly beating the expectation of 0.9%. So that was a pretty healthy number which means that demand destruction is not being created yet. Consumers are still out there spending more money, which means that more upward pressure is going to be put for inflation because as long as retail sales stay strong, companies are going to be able to have the leeway to pass those added costs from the producer price index onto the consumer. But one notable thing that I noticed, because if you look at the core retail sales number month over month, which strips out auto sales, that was also a 1% increase. So there was no difference between retail sales and core retail sales, which strips out auto sales. So this is actually a very disturbing sign for the auto market and for the economy in general, because that shows that auto sales are slowing dramatically. And why are auto sales slowing dramatically? Well, because people can't afford to buy new or used cars anymore. They're spending too much money on their rent or their higher mortgage payment, on food, on energy. There is no money left over to be able to go and buy a new car. Another way in which I know that people are slowing down the amount of auto sales dramatically is if you look at shares of AutoZone. Now, AutoZone, believe it or not, is outperforming the markets by 24% this year. Why is that? Because people are repairing their old cars. They're having to fix up their old cars because they can't afford to go buy a new car. AutoZone does not structurally outperform the market unless we're in an economy where people can't afford to buy cars. So that is showing that there is a huge collapse in demand for the auto sector. But this is basically going to be a perfect storm for the auto sector if you think about it. Over the past couple years, there's been a lot of increased demand from the money printing and the stimulus for consumers to buy cars. A lot of these auto companies took that as a sign to expand their operations and build new plants to try and ramp up production and also to try and mitigate the supply chain problems that they've been having. So now you have all these car plants have been built around the world, right? Look at Tesla has expanded into Germany, into China. They're building plants all over the place. They're increasing their capacity and increasing their overhead costs and their fixed expenses. But now that they've increased and expanded, they're going to have a huge drop in demand for auto sales. So they're not going to have any way if we continue to head down the path of recession to actually fund all these extra costs because their sales are going to decline rapidly. Now, again, a lot of you take also a lot of traditional automakers are trying to uh, rotate and go to making EVs like Ford and GM and Volkswagen, Chrysler, you name it. All the auto companies are trying to take a share of the electric vehicle space now. So again, they're expanding operations, building new plants to try and get electric vehicle production ramped up. And now no Americans can afford to buy these electric vehicles or can even afford to buy a traditional vehicle because again, the the 
inflation is causing their household budget to be taken up and consumed by the things that they need to buy for everyday necessities. And another reason that demand is going to completely collapse in the auto sector over the next few years is because a lot of the demand in the past to buy automobiles has come from cheap credit and the consumer's ability to take on auto loans to buy these cars. A lot of Americans who buy new cars are buying them on five and six year loans where interest rates are very little and they're only able to, to buy these cars because they can take out those loans. If Americans were forced to actually pay for a car in cash, sales would decline dramatically. But with interest rates going up, a lot of these auto loans are going to go away. So again, when interest rates rise, that doesn't just make it more expensive to service your debt. It also makes it much more difficult to take on new debt because credit conditions tighten. So as the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates, again, the market's expecting now a 70% chance of a 1% increase in interest rates over the next month. If that happens, that what that's going to cause is for a lot of auto loans to now become unavailable to people who want to buy another car. So that is going to make sales decline dramatically. We're already starting to see that a little bit, again, in the spike of AutoZone sales over the past two quarters. But demand is collapsing in the auto sector. Demand is also starting to slowly decline in the housing market because of rising interest rates as well. Now, home sales did well over the past month, but again, that's because we had a drop in the mortgage market. So mortgage rates came down about a half a percent, half a percent over that month. Mortgage rates are expected to continue to rise, especially if we're fighting inflation here over the next several months, which means that demand to buy new homes or existing homes is going to come down. And I've explained that dynamic before. If you own a house right now, say it's a $500,000 house and you've got a mortgage payment at a, at a fixed rate of 3%. If you are going to sell that house and try and move into a house with a similar uh, value. So if you're going to try and sell one $500,000 home to try and move into another $500,000 home, you are going to give up the mortgage rate that you have locked in now of say three or 4%. And now you're going to have to take out a 6% or higher mortgage rate on the new house that you buy. So in other words, you're moving into a house that's the same price as the one you live in now, but your next mortgage payment is going to be much higher than the mortgage payment you have now. So what that tells me is that a lot of people in the middle class and lower middle class income type homes are going to start to, to bolt down. They're, going to, they're not going to move as much. They're not going to sell as much because they, if you do so, you're giving up that low mortgage payment that you have for a much higher mortgage payment. And again, this in an economy where it's already incredibly difficult to put food on the table, to put gas in your car, right, to, to afford the things that you need for your family. So this is all negative news that is coming down in the markets right now. And again, that's what's going to cause auto demand to go away, uh, housing demand to go away. But what's not going to go away is inflation. Now, uh, one before I move on to that, one other thing that we got this week was the earnings calls for a few of the major banks on Wall Street. The the bank stocks kicked off earnings with uh, Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan. 
Now, as expected, Morgan Stanley, just to get it out of the way quick, their investment banking revenues were down 29% year over year. And again, why is that? Because a lot less companies are going public now. You don't have the SPAC mania where you have all these companies just getting dumped onto the market, going public. There's a lot less investment banking activity because the markets are down. So that, for the most part, was already priced in and expected. But still, a 29% decline in revenues from investment banking is not good at all for the economy. But moving into the more important bank stock, which is JP Morgan Chase, which gives us a better outlook for what's going on in the economy, their earnings call, they announced that they are going to be pausing their share buybacks uh, immediately, and they're not going to be doing any share buybacks for the foreseeable future. They're also not going to be raising their dividend, and instead their focus is going to be on building their loan loss reserves because they are starting to see in the data that we are headed into recession. Auto loan delinquencies, as I just mentioned, are starting to pick up. Credit card delinquencies are starting to pick up. So these banks are going to have to start to get a lot more conservative with their balance sheets and with their capital, because a lot of people are going to start defaulting on these loans. And especially if you think a lot of auto loans and pretty much all credit card debt out there is adjustable rate. So as interest rates move higher, the interest payments on those debts move higher as well. That's why we're going to start to see more and more delinquencies in the auto and the credit card space. But again, we what we're going to see is when the labor market finally breaks and we get a big spike in unemployment, then you're going to start to see delinquencies are really going to pick up across the auto sector and across uh, the credit card sector. That's why also... Shares of Ford are down substantially this year. Not only is the market sniffing out a recession, but Ford also had to lower their guidance on how much of their uh, auto loan receivables they're going to actually collect because they have a lot of auto loan receivables on their books. And again, as the economy goes into recession, they know that they're going to start to collect a lot less of those outstanding loans. And so that has to be written off all bad signs and ominous signs for the economy moving forward. But again, a major reason for the rally in the past month in stocks, if you look at a lot of the big names in the S&P 500, Apple up 14% over the past month, Tesla up 9% over the past month, Microsoft up 4% over the past month, right? These bigger names are driving the markets because they're such a big portion of the S&P 500 that wherever those stocks go, the rest of the S&P is going to go. But why are people buying the Apples, the Microsofts, uh, the Googles, right? Those, the, the NVIDIAs, those have become the more defensive names in the market. People are looking for defensive stocks because they know we're heading into a recession. But what a lot of people are going to be into in, a root, in for a rude awakening is a lot of these stocks have performed very well over the past decade because of certain assumptions. Take Apple, for example. It's pretty much a a baked-in assumption that every year, most iPhone customers are going to upgrade to the newest iPhone, right? That people are going to do upgrades for their Macs, for their home computers. A lot of that is expected to occur every single year because of Apple's extremely strong brand and a customer loyalty. But if we head into recession, 
are people going to still buy iPhones every single year, right? And I know a lot of iPhone sales are subsidized by the telecommunications companies like Verizon and AT&T, for example. But still, we've never seen in in, in a recession how Apple's products are going to perform because for the most part, the the entire birth of the iPhone has occurred over the past 15-year bull market. So I don't believe as we head into recession and you have people, again, spending 40% of their entire budget on food, energy, and housing, that they're going to have enough money left over to spend on a new iPhone every year, especially, again, as credit conditions are tightening. Again, if credit conditions tighten, not only does it become more expensive to service your credit card debt, but it actually becomes more difficult to get approved for another credit card, right? So that is going to stop people from spending a lot of money in discretionary areas. And again, these should all be ominous signs for Visa, MasterCard, the banks, right? Anybody who has exposure to auto debt, to uh, credit card debt, those companies are going to start to see their their loan losses pick up substantially as we head into a recession. But again, the markets remain extremely unstable here. And again, a big reason for the rally that we've gotten in the past month has been from what's been going on in the bond market. Now, bonds, we're starting to see that there's a lot of yield curve inversions in the bond market. So this week, we had a major inversion between the U.S. two-year and the U.S. 10-year. The U.S. two-year rates got as high as 3.138%. So you loan money to the government for two years, you're going to collect 3.1% in interest over those two each year over those two years. But the U.S. 10-year bond, you loan money to the government for 10 years, you're only going to get paid 2.919% interest per year on that bond. So in other words, the yield curve there has inverted. You're getting paid a higher rate of interest for a loan with a shorter maturity than you are for a loan with a much longer uh, maturity. That shows me two things. One, it's a very clear warning sign that a recession is coming because when people are parking money in short-term treasury bonds, like a two-year treasury, that is because they are taking money out of the stock market and putting it into those bonds. They want to get less risk risk exposure in their portfolios, and so that's what's causing rates to spike on the two-year. What it's also showing me is that long-term inflation expectations still remain drastically low, because if you're willing to buy a U.S. 10-year government bond... <laughs> And that bond only pays a 2.91% rate of interest each year over those 10 years. You And inflation right now, again, everyone's looking at inflation as 9.1%. We know it's really 156 but all investors look at that year-over-year number of 9.1%. But regardless, if you're willing to get a interest rate payment of 2.9% when inflation is 9.1%, the only reason you would accept that rate of payment and make that loan out is you expect that in the future, three, four, five, six years from now, inflation is going to moderate and then decelerate and come way back down so that you can get collect a positive rate of interest on that bond. So because bond yields across the entire curve are still extremely low, again, that tells me that bonds have yet to price in longer term inflation expectations. 
And that is the reason why you see a major sell-off occurring in the price of gold. Gold, contrary to where the markets performed this past month, gold was down 6.5% on the month, which represents a underperformance of the S&P of 11%. Because over the course of that month, again, the S&P 500 was up over 5%. Gold was down 6.5%. So we got the highest inflation number in the history of the United States came out this week. Inflation continues to show its ability to accelerate and ravage the economy. And people take that as a sign, we need to sell gold and buy dollars. Part of this is probably traders are have bought the rumor and sold the fact, right? A lot of traders last year probably bought gold in anticipation of higher inflation. They bought the rumor. And now that we got the fact of higher inflation, they're selling gold and taking some profits off the table. And so that's one of the reasons why I think gold has been struggling in the past few months. The other reason, and probably the bigger reason that the gold market is struggling so much, is one, we know that the U.S. dollar is extremely strong. The U.S. dollar, again, at 23-year highs against a lot of other major currencies. And you know that that's dragging the gold price down as well. Because the gold price measured in dollars is falling, but the gold price measured in other currencies is actually rising. But with that, we have to understand why is the dollar rising and why is gold falling? People, again, are starting to price a recession into the markets. That is why they are buying two-year treasury bonds, because they want to get money out of the stock market and put it into bonds. So they are starting to see that the stock market is coming is going to come down. They also see the recession warning signs, again, one coming from the bond market and the inversion of the two and 10 year yield curve, another coming from all of the weak data that we're getting and the weak reports coming out of banks showing that they have to start increasing their loan loss reserves. The market is taking that bad news as good news because now the markets are looking to the Fed to raise rates by 100 basis points over the next month. But they're then starting to look even forward into the future in 2023 to see that the Federal Reserve is going to start to cut rates. Because now, and I see it every day from all the analysts on Wall Street, everyone keeps saying the best thing that can happen for us right now is the market goes into a recession. Because one, everyone thinks if we go into recession, it's going to be mild. So everyone's being complacent there. But Everyone is hoping for a mild recession because they think that recession is going to cause inflation to go away and that that is going to open the door for the Federal Reserve to come in with rate cuts and a stimulative policy in 2023, which then therefore can lead the markets back to new highs. Again, this is very misguided for a few reasons. For one, if we have recession, there's no indication that it's going to be a mild one, right? Again, we have all the consumers out there that are struggling to make ends meet now, and the economy is at full employment. If unemployment starts to tick up, then we're going to start to see consumers are going to start to struggle a lot more to make ends meet. And as consumers have less money to spend, again, one person's spending is another person's income. 60% of the entire U.S. economy is living paycheck to paycheck already. If we have a spike up in unemployment, then you're going to start to see a lot more people living paycheck to paycheck. And again, a lot of the people that are already living paycheck to paycheck are going to have to rely more heavily on credit cards 
And again, you can't do that if interest rates are rising, because if you're unemployed and interest rates are rising and credit conditions are tightening, you're not going to be able to open new credit cards. You're not going to be able to get your credit limits increased on your credit cards to try and make ends meet because you lost your job. So a lot of spending is going to continue to go down. But again, I continue to see that people are speculating if consumer spending drops because we have a recession, that's going to take inflation down. Now, obviously, prices occur in the economy, whether they rise or fall because of supply and demand pressures. But most people don't understand what inflation actually is and where it comes from and why it gets created. So I've explained it before on the podcast, but I know I have a lot of new listeners, so I'll go over it again quickly. But inflation is an expansion of the money supply. So when money gets printed and created, that expands the money supply. Now, the government has, if they want to spend money, they have one of three ways in which they can spend money. They can either do it the straightforward way, which is to tax people, collect tax revenue, and then spend the tax revenue on their government programs. So in other words, if the government creates a government program where they're going to spend a trillion dollars, they have to collect a trillion dollars in tax revenue in order to spend the money on that government program. Now, if they can't collect a trillion dollars in taxes to spend on that program, they then have to go use the second way in which they can spend and that that is borrowing money. And the way in which the government borrows money is they issue U.S. Treasury bonds and then investors go into the market and buy those bonds and loan money to the federal government. But the thing is, if there's not enough investor demand to buy those bonds to in order for the government to be able to borrow that trillion dollars, then they have to go to the third way in which they spend money, which is they they have the Federal Reserve prints money, uses the printed money to buy those treasury bonds. The government gets the printed money from the treasury bonds and then can go spend it on their government program. And then that additional money supply gets flooded throughout the economy. Now, again, inflation is an expansion of the money supply. So the second money is printed at the Federal Reserve and given to the government to put in the economy, inflation has occurred. What doesn't occur, though, right away is a rise in consumer prices. Inflation is an expansion of the money supply. Rising consumer prices is the effect inflation has over time occurring with a lag from the money printing. So, for example, what makes a currency valuable is not the currency itself. It's the goods and services that can be purchased with the currency. So in other words, if you owned 1% of the supply of US dollars in the world, you can buy 1% of all the goods and services created within the United States. That's the value of that money. Now, if the money supply is doubled and you initially owned 1% of all the US dollars in the world, But now the money supply has doubled, so you now only own 0.5% of the U.S. money supply. You now just got diluted out of 50% of your purchasing power. In other words, you now can only buy a half a percent of all the goods and services produced in the U.S. economy because the, the supply of money was increased, but the supply of goods and services did not get increased. So in other words, supply and demand affects money as well, right? The supply and demand curve says if supply goes down or stays the same, but demand goes up, prices have to go up. So if you increase the supply of money, 
right? You're increasing the supply of money, but the supply of goods and services is staying the same. Then that means prices are going to have to go up. Now think about, again, what's happened in the U.S. economy over the past few years. Not only did we increase the money supply by 40% in just the past two years, but the supply of goods and services actually declined because we shut the entire economy down and sent everyone home and told them not to work, not to produce goods and services. So how is inflation going to go away when we are still dealing with the consequences of that 40% increase in the money supply and the substantial decrease in the supply of goods and services throughout the United States economy. Again, the way you would stop that price increase, because again, as I said, consumer prices rise with a lag after inflation is created. And that has to do with the velocity of money. So in other words, I'm a business owner. I'm selling a widget for $10. And I then realize that the consumer's that I have now are all of a sudden have a lot more spending power because they've just been given a lot more money from money printing. So then I recognize, okay, I can raise my prices from $10 to $15 and it's not going to affect my volume of sales because demand has increased because everyone has more money. So then I'm going to use that opportunity as a business owner to make more margin. I'm going to raise my price of my widget from $10 to $15, and I'm still going to sell the same amount of widgets because people have more money to spend because the Federal Reserve printed it and gave it to them. So that causes my prices to rise. Now as the business owner, because I'm selling the same product at a higher price with the, with a, a much better margin, I'm making more money as the business owner. So now I'm able to go spend more money in the economy at other businesses because as a consumer, because I, my business is making more money and I'm more wealthy because of it. So that causes other businesses in the community to start raising their prices. And so that's where you see the velocity of money as people start to turn over dollars in the economy, right? That causes prices to increase. So that begs the question, how do you get that to reverse? Once the inflation genie is out of the bottle, which as we clearly see in the CPI data, the inflation genie is well out of the bottle. How do you reverse that inflation then? Well, there's two things that the Federal Reserve can do. They can shrink the money supply, which I'll get to that in a minute, but they can shrink the money supply, which again would cause demand to go down, or they can raise interest rates because a lot of people not only spend the money they have, but they spend the money they can borrow. So the, as long as people can borrow money at insanely cheap interest rates, they're going to keep spending and demand stays high. In order to take that demand away, you raise interest rates substantially above the rate of inflation. And now that demand gets destroyed because it, when people can borrow less money, it means they can spend less on goods and services, which means that businesses don't have as much of an ability to pass higher costs onto customers. So that's what the Federal Reserve has to do. They have to get interest rates higher than the rate of inflation. Now, again, despite the good month that the stock market had, the S&P 500 is still down almost 20% on the year, and the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates from 0 to 1.5%. If the inflation is going to come back down, interest rates need to get higher than the current rate of inflation on the CPI. 
which is, again, 15.6%. If the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates from here to 15.6%, that is going to do a ton of damage to the U.S. economy. Now, that's the way you stop inflation. But in order to stop inflation, you have to do that damage to the economy. You have to get people to stop spending money. Again, one person's spending is another person's income. So if you get people to stop spending money, that means corporations see a huge decline in their earnings, which means a lot of companies are going to start to lay people off. A lot of companies are going to go bankrupt, go out of business. That's going to cause unemployment to shoot up even faster. And again, that is going to cause a huge recession, one that is much more severe than the recession we had in 2008. And that is my point. Is the Federal Reserve actually going to go through with that? Are they going to purposely put the economy in a huge, severe recession to fight inflation? The answer to this point has been no, because they continue to drag their feet. Again, we've had an inflation problem for a year now. They've only raised rates a few times from zero to one and a half percent. One and a half percent is still a highly stimulative interest rate policy, right? Because interest rates need to be at a neutral rate if the economy is in a normal position, meaning that they have to be at a rate where you're not stimulating the economy, but you're also not causing the economy to contract. So we're far below a neutral rate of interest, meaning we still have a highly stimulative rate of interest, which is actually going to further exacerbate the inflation problem. Now, if you're going to stop inflation, you have to get a rate of interest that's actually going to contract the economy, which means interest rates have to go far above neutral. Now, again, for now, interest rates are not rising in the bond market because investors think that inflation is going to go away if we have a mild mild slowdown in the economy. And they are wrong about that, which means that there's a lot of stuff in the market that is completely mispriced here. One being the price of gold, because again, people have been selling gold because they think inflation has peaked and is going to go away once we have a recession. That is wrong. Gold is very undervalued at this current price. The other thing that is very overvalued is the price of bonds. Because once people figure out that interest rates are going to rise substantially from here because we have a huge inflation problem that's not going to go away, bond yields are going to shoot through the roof, which brings bond prices way down, which means that bond prices can crash. And again, as interest rates start to skyrocket, that makes the current value of all future earnings for companies in the stock market less valuable. That means that multiples have to contract even more. But with that, again, if we go into recession, you have the labor market start to pick up. That means people are spending less money in the economy. One person's spending is another person's income. And if that spending goes away, corporate earnings go away. That means that not only is the stock market have to price in a multiple contraction, which has mainly gotten priced in over the last year, but it's going to get priced in even more. But it also has to price in lower earnings. And even as we've moved into the first six plus months of the year, again, recession forecasts have increased, but Wall Street analysts have still not dropped their earnings expectations on any of these businesses. And again, it's only going to take one bad quarter coming out of Apple or Tesla or Microsoft to really drive the market lower. 
And believe it or not, we get some earnings this week. Netflix is going to report this week. Uh, Tesla is going to report this week. We have more banks reporting this week. And I would expect that, again, Tesla is probably going to have a lot of problems. Again, not only is auto demand slowing in the United States, but they have taken on a ton of extra capacity to produce vehicles. They're having pricing pressures as well. They actually just raised the cost of one of their higher end cars last month by about $6,000. So they're struggling to pass costs on to customers as well. And again, as credit conditions start to tighten, there's going to be more and more pressure on these cyclical businesses like the auto stocks, like the bank stocks, like uh, consumer discretionary stocks, like restaurants and hotels and cruise lines, casinos. Again, interest rates have barely even risen to this point, and people are already struggling to make ends meet. And I keep hearing about how high interest rates are on mortgages. Mortgage rates are at about 6% right now, depending on a person's given situation. While that is double the rate of interest on mortgages last year, it is still historically low. Typically, the average mortgage interest rate is upwards of 9 or 10%. And in fact, the last time we had inflation this bad uh, in the 1970s, by 1980, interest rates on mortgages got to 20%. So we still have interest rates near historic lows, which means that demand is not going to fall enough to cause people to stop spending money but it is going to cause to drop enough to cause the economy to go into recession. So we're going to have a recession coupled with continue a continuation in the acceleration of the CPI and in inflation. So that means, again, there's a lot of complacency out there, but there is a lot of warning signs coming again out of the bond market. And what we need to continue to watch moving forward is corporate earnings, to see if they can continue to hold up. My guess would be that at some point they're going to start to come down. And we also need to start to look at the employment market. And every time a jobs number or an unemployment number comes out, there is a huge risk that if we get a spike up in those jobs uh, going away, that we are headed into recession. And eventually, right now, like I said, good news is bad news because If we get good news that the economy is doing well, that gives the Federal Reserve more rope to raise interest rates. And right now, bad news is good news because any bad news means the Federal Reserve will stop raising interest rates. But again, even if inflation were to come down, we still need to get interest rates to a neutral rate at some point. Everyone seems to be complacent that we don't need to do that and that interest rates can just stay at zero forever. They don't need to go up. We can just continue to stimulate the economy uh, for, for a prolonged period of time and not have it cause inflation. But again, the inflation genie is out of the bottle, which means it's not going away unless the, inf- the inf- uh, interest rates go higher than the rate of inflation and stay there for a long, prolonged period of time. Again, throughout the course of history in financial markets, you've never had an economy where inflation has gotten higher than 5%. And then simultaneously come back down to 2% or lower without the federal funds rate or the interest rate in the economy going higher than the current CPI. The current CPI is 15.6% rate of inflation. And this inflation problem is just getting started. And believe me, the market has a lot lower to fall from here. We had a slight bounce in the last couple of weeks in the markets in general. I would use that as a selling opportunity to try and take some more risk off the table. And again, 
taking risk off the table does not mean buying bonds. Bonds have huge amounts of interest rate and inflation risk that is not priced into the bond prices yet. Bonds is not where you want to be, but you have to be in the more value-oriented stocks, the stocks where their earnings are not going to collapse. Because if you have a consumer-stable stock like Johnson & Johnson, which reports this week, they can pass added costs onto their customer. And people are going to buy Johnson & Johnson products before they buy a new car, before they go on a vacation, before they go to a casino or on a cruise line. Those are the companies that are not going to have earnings contractions as we move forward into the second half of 2022. Those are the companies you need to be in. But a lot of the consumer discretionary stocks are the ones that are going to get hit the most, again, especially in the auto sector. Uh, And again, we have auto earnings coming up over the next couple of weeks, and especially in restaurants, hotels. Uh, And a lot of these restaurant and hotel prices are still extremely high. Same thing with the casinos, right? A lot of people have been traveling to this point and spending a lot of money in the consumer discretionary areas, but as credit conditions tighten, people are going to stop spending money in those areas. So you need to be in the more value-oriented stocks, the ones, again, that have pricing power, can pass added costs in their businesses to their customers, and that are not going to see their profits decline over the next several months because they sell a product which people need, not a product which people want. That's it for now, though. But again, expect at some point the stock market is going to have to start pricing in a recession for real And it's eventually going to have to price out the possibility of rate cuts in 2023 because, again, this inflation problem is not going to go away on its own. It won't go away unless the Federal Reserve gets serious about fighting inflation, which will cause the economy to go into a severe recession in later half of 2022 or in 2023.